Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. a podcast for women over 40. We are your hosts. I'm Kim France. And I'm Jen Romolini. And Jen Romolini, you finished your book this week. Oh, I fucking turned it in. Yes, it's over. I mean, I can't even tell you, like, time has, time has new meaning. I'm just, (laughs) (laughs) like, last night before I went to bed, I was like, oh my God, I can read anything I want because for the past like five days, I had only read the last two pages of like a hundred books because I was like, how do people end a book? Anyway, it doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> Let's never talk about it again. We have, we are very energetic, and very happy for the fact that we have a serious show today. Rebecca Sofer is our guest. She's going to be talking about modern loss, um, her her new book, The Modern Loss Handbook, but mostly she's talking about grief and all the different forms of grieving and how we can show up for not only ourselves, but for other people who are in the process of grieving. And um, she's lovely and delightful and so smart, and it's a really good conversation. Um, Before that, let's have a check-in. How are you, Kim France? I'm fine. I'm fine. I don't, you know what, Jen? I don't have a lot to report today. I gotta tell you. (laughs) I just don't. Okay. I can sleep well. I feel like a zombie. And I'm very upset. I mean, I, you know, this will be a little dated, but certainly still newsworthy by the time this comes out. But like we just found out about the Supreme Court um Roe versus Wade business yesterday. And I don't know anybody who isn't really upset by that today. I think that I'm trying to be in denial about it. I can see myself trying to be sort of toxic positivity about it. I'm like, well, thank God there are abortion pills now. Like, it's fucking awful. It is awful, 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 awful. It's, it is it is beyond awful. I mean, I, I, I'll say it. I've had two abortions. And, you know, I had them both when I was in my early 20s. And my life would have been a disaster 
if I had had either of those children. I can't even imagine. I, 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 I mean, I would have taken an entirely different route. I would have been attached to men who I didn't want to be attached to for the rest of my life. But I'm not thinking about people like me. I'm thinking about like people with very little access to education or help and what that journey gets like for them. And it's just, just fucking depressing. It's just, it, abortion should be legal. It is a human right. It is a decision that you should be able to make about your fucking body. It's like, you know, we all go to like, oh, rape and incest. No, it should just be a regular thing. This, you know, because we have no social safety nets in this country. We pretend that we are pro-life, but we are not actually pro-life. We are pro-pregnancy. Yeah. It's it just, I, I just, I, ca I, I, I can't. And if I think about it too long, I, I just can't. I've been fighting. I feel like I've been fighting for pro-choice issues since I was 16. Yeah. And the fact that we are here is, it's so obviously believable, but at the same time, it's like, it, it's hard. It's hard to believe. We saw it happening in real time. We saw it happening in real time. And I'm so angry about that. I'm so, I mean, what do I do? I give my $60 a month to Planned Parenthood, but what else do I do? I have been trying to take some action. I have, and I put it on my um, Instagram account and my link in bio. If anybody's interested, I, I have found a Google doc from a very good uh, reproductive health activist. Um, that gives a lot of action items, including how to talk about this on social media, including where to be supporting right now, because we're all giving our money to the biggest players, but mm -hmm. actually locally is where yeah. we, where our money is going to go the furthest. Um, you know, we do what we can and we show up in elections and we, we try not to let this make us feel so defeated that we stop participating. I, I feel like that's the worst thing that could happen at this moment. I think it, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I just keep, I just read a line in the times or somewhere about how like, this is how the vast majority of America wants to see women as vessels, you know, as vessels. It's, it's, it, it, it is so, um, What's the Margaret Atwood book? What's oh, the uh, hand, hand, book? Handmaid's Tale, Thank Handmaid's you. Tale. Thank you. Or it's having a little marshmallow brain moment. Um, it's really, it, it, is, it is so dark. I can only hope, I can only hope that this generation of younger women is, is going to mobilize around this. And not just, you know, non-binary people, you know? You're right. It's, it's you're right. Tra trans men. Like, this affects any assigned female at birth body and we have to make sure that we're inclusive in that language too yeah and it is just oh i i don't i don't want to talk about it anymore i want to talk about something else i want to okay. talk about beard dyers <laughs> <laughs> which i didn't know was a thing okay now that you know it's a thing you're going to start looking for it everywhere i think there are men who are as vain as any woman in the world obviously and they are out there because I was, I had this thought the other day, I was looking at an actor and I was like, he's around my age. That, that man has gray hair. There's absolutely, and that man has a fucking gray beard. That man with that full beard that he's using to disguise his old man neck. That man <laughs> has a gray beard and that man's beard is dyed. And now I can't stop seeing it. Now that I've seen it once, if you look at and this, I think this has been happening 
for all of our days. I think men have been dyeing their beards forever. I think Affleck buys it, dyes his beard. I think all the men in Midlife and Beyond dye their beard. And you can kind of tell because all of these men's beards look a little off. They're like a little orange. And I'm telling you to look. That's all I'm saying. That's hilarious. Beard dyers. And, and I, if you say Affleck does it, I believe you. Because I don't think there's a, I don't know a more astute than Affleck observer than you. Well, I'll tell you that he does it carefully because he's got J-Lo in his corner. He does it carefully. <laughs> he does it half and half. So he doesn't have the Santa beard because that's the other thing. They're all desperate not to have the Santa beard. Bobby. So he's a careful beard dyer. Some people just go full on and it starts to look really dumb. Um, the other thing I want to talk about is I have found a real new style inspiration. And her name is Aja Barber. And she is um, many things, but she is this style icon on Instagram. And she has, you know, not a, a, a pin thin body. And she doesn't buy any fast fashion. And she just does these outfits of the day of herself with her full, real middle-aged body, starting in her underwear, and then putting on an outfit, putting an outfit together. And she has incredible style. And it's so fun to watch. But she also talks about the places she sources her clothes, which are all, you know, not fast fashion, all pretty earth friendly. And also um, finding, tracking down things that she wanted for a long time, but finding them secondhand, vintage. So it's a very inspiring um, source for fashion and also information about, you know, the, the, the toxic areas of fashion that we don't like to talk about too much. There was a big conversation on her Facebook group this week. Yes, there was. And that's what that's what made me think about it. Yes, about how right. do we dress right now? Where are you buying clothes? Where Go. do you buy clothes? It's really hard. We have a guest coming on in a few weeks who I think is going to be great for this. But um, it is a real question. When you reach a certain age, like, I, I can't go on Shop Bop anymore. No. no. It, it's like I can't. If something just happened. Something no. just happened. Maybe they changed their vibe. And I think I just can't look at that anymore as my baseline of like no no I mean for me it's just always it's like a constant you know aging is just a constant adjusting it's just that's all it is it's it's mm -hmm. it's just constantly adjusting to all the things to your body changing sort of your health changing your you know your physical appearance changing your who you want in your life changing all of that but style is no different and I'm always like, oh, that just doesn't look good anymore. And you know, I've been trying all kinds of shit in the last like year and a half. <laughs> like, and I'm like, no, like I have a leather mini skirt and I was about to throw it out. And I was like, actually with tights and a turtleneck sweater, this looks amazing. So, you know, it's just adjusting. I used to wear it in a different way, you know? Yeah. And I think it's just retrying on your stuff. But I also think I think it's trying things. I think it's trying out a lot of different things because, you know, we are in this weird amorphous style place and it's just like, well, what, what feels good and still looks good. And yeah. what do I want to try that I haven't tried before? For example, you know, I am as discussed, I think where I've landed right now is seventies lesbian. I'll keep saying it. <laughs> and that took a lot of trial and error to, to really land squarely. And now I'm like, I want three piece suits and skinny ties. You're set. 
Um, that's I'm, that's where I'm headed. I mean, why not? I why never want to wear a heel again. Oh my god! I've got to go to a friend's fiftieth birthday party in a couple weeks. What are you gonna wear? I don't fucking know. Oh. She listens too, Meredith. I don't know what I'm gonna wear at a birthday party. And <laughs> for real, stay about it. I don't know what to wear. Oh god! Um, and it's in the country. It's in Connecticut. Okay. So it's like not in the city. That's some much dangerous things. <laughs> I don't know what it changes. It's a, you're not in a movie set. <laughs> oh, it just something about it being Connecticut just throws me. Just throws me. I get what I you mean. I get what you mean. I mean, oh God. Well, that's the, that's the thing. I think that particularly the pandemic has stolen my idea of what it is to get dressed up. Like, I think I can get dressed normal, but getting dressed up is outside of my purview in, in a profound way. I mean, I don't know. Would you, cons would you consider menswear? <laughs> I dress like a man every day. Anyway. I know. So why not just lean fully into it? Why not go full Pamela Adlon and just be like, I'm wearing a really sweet looking tuxedo jacket. You're right. And a nice pair of pants. Just fucking go for it. A nice pair of pants. I don't have a nice pair of pants. Well, maybe that's the thing you splurge on. And then some kind of funky, fun, funky, fun shoe. Well, funky, funky fun. fun. That's the thing my bro my brother says about me. My brother's like, you've got pretty good style, but your taste in shoes is tricky. <laughs> I will tell you that I bought a pair of, what is it? It's got the worst name. It's like from the office of Angela Scott or something. Yes, I, yes, yes. <laughs> I bought the worst. I mean, not that is the worst name. I bought the best, best pair of Chelsea boots from her. And I... That I wear them with everything and they're they're really quite awesome. They have such a good like Bob Dylan-y kind of shape, you know, mm -hmm. that like very mm -hmm. perfect 60s shoe. Um, but I do think that that's a place to splurge for sure. But I I mean, I I dressed up a couple of years ago. I was thinking about this. The last time I really had to get dressed up, I had on like a gown. And I really was like, oh, this is this is the last time I'm going to wear something like this. I felt so fucking stupid. I had like my arms exposed, mm. a lot of makeup on, very feminine um, hair and this very kind of feminine, like not prom dress, but like a feminine dress. A frilly and gown. A frilly gown. And I was like, ugh, I'm done. This is, this yeah. is, this is fucking over. And I do think women look incredible as we get older in pantsuits. I not pantsuit nation pantsuits, like a Pamela Adlon suit. Or the other, like this is, this is another outfit that I think you have to be formal. Mm -hmm. Looks really nice. It's like some kind of really fancy button down shirt mm -hmm. and then a long skirt. I think that looks great too. I think that looks great too. I, I, I do too. Tawny Goodman, who was a, um, an editor at Vogue for years and years um, wore an outfit like that to the CFDA awards when she won it. And mm -hmm. I, I think about it all the time. I just think like that is the perfect black type. I also, I like, I like, I've been more, well, you know, I'm all about neck shit. 
I mean, I like a, I like a really beautiful scarf at the neck. I think that can really look nice depending on what the rest of the outfit is. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I feel very lost here too. I, I'm like, I'm like vests fucking fine. I don't know. Like I, I kind of like vests right now too. I haven't worn one, but I'm very tempted. I do. I just need to, I need to just accept that I dress like a boy. And just I, I think so in. too. I, that's where I'm at too, because really when I'm looking at all of this frilly shit that's out right now, well, it's either frilly or it's skanky. And, you know, I'm all for, like, go for an S&M, like, kind of sexy, you know, bondage kind of shirt. It's not for me anymore, but I get it. Like, I get it. You're young. You're sexy. You want your tits out. Great. Who gives a shit? <laughs> it's no longer for me. And so finding what is for me and, like, what it is is beautifully tailored clothes. Yep. Simple clothes. Yeah, I think the simpler, the older you get, the simpler it gets. And that doesn't have to be boring. It doesn't because it can be a bright color. It can be all kinds of a pop of color. I saw someone make fun of you for and I I laughed and laughed because (laughs) I don't think you know how many times I threw in pop of color in a lucky caption because I knew it would pass. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious and not what I thought you were going to say. No, I was like, fuck, I just got to get this page through and she'll always <laughs> accept a pop of color. <laughs> oh my God. Um, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. And also just investing in like cool shoes. I bought a pair of red ankle boots a couple of years ago and unfortunately they were not like a good brand and they were very uncomfortable. Like they caused me, I had to go to the chiropractor every time after I wore them because they just like, they threw my hips out. Um, but I really liked them. Like I really liked the, the look of them. And I think sometimes, I mean, look, this is just old lady shit having like a plain outfit with like a, a, you know, a pop of color on your foot. It's just a funky boot is the, is the way to go. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes there can be like a nice long, if it fits you correctly, like a long dress with a fitted blazer over it. It's like also anything that gives you kind of shape at the top, I feel like, you know, that gives you, gives you the appearance of a waist, but without being constricting, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, that's the, I've, I've been obviously thinking about all this stuff a lot because I'm looking at my closet post post pandemic and I'm like, Oh God, like, no, never again. That's funny. Yeah. That's funny. I just look at my closet and go, okay, I'll wear what I wore yesterday. Pretty much. I feel like I go into panic. I feel like I go into panic when I have to see people now. Like when I had to pack for New York and I knew there were going to be five, well, six, I knew there were going to be six days of having to see people and show up in professional situations. I was, it was really, really fucking stressful. And then I wound up buying a stupid dress that I had been stalked, that had been stalking on Instagram. It's a cute dress. It is a goddamn tent. It is a, it is a tent and it has, and there's no way to disguise that it's a tent because it also has giant sleeves. It's just an impossible, I might as well have just put on it. I'm literally might as well have put on a tent. Like it's that big <laughs> and it, it's in a nice fabric, but it's just like this, I just look like it's just this giant thing and I'm never buying another thing on Instagram again. That is my real vow. 
because yeah. it's, it's too manipulative and you start, I feel like it does something to your brain. You see the same thing. One time you click on it, it just, it stalks you everywhere you go. Yeah, no, I, 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 I haven't been closed online at all on Instagram or anywhere. Um, and not surprisingly, I've made a lot fewer mistakes in my shopping. Yeah. You yeah. know, I mean, I really shouldn't say that as somebody who makes her living on selfish shopping blog, but it's true. You know, I, I like, I don't order as many clothes because I don't have a doorman and things get stolen from my stoop. And it's really like, it's, it's, it's cut down on the mistakes, but it's also cut down on the successes. And the so, fun. And the fun. And the fun. And the fun. It's and true. the fun. I've been buying some vintage things. I've been buying a bunch of um, vintage linen pieces um, from a brand called Flax because I've been like, oh, maybe I also have another, oh my God, another, I think her name's Fiona Shaw, another style icon. If anybody watches uh, Killing Eve, she's Fiona Shaw style is on Killing Eve, especially this last season yep. is everything I want. And it does involve a lot of suits and she doesn't have a perfect body. It's like you can make this shit work for you. We think we can't a lot of like silk button downs that can be really beautiful, I think. And a lot of linen. That's where we are. The other thing is like when you buy something vintage, you may get something for like $50 or $40 or something cheap, but then you have to realize that the real money spending kind of like the important I don't know what I'm saying. All no, I'm I do know what you're saying. saying. You need a tailor. You take yes. the thing you bought and you get a tailor. Absolutely. And I have to start doing that. I never do that. I'm like, eh, no, I'm going to get rid of it. Um, the other thing though, is while we're talking about all of this is all of our style concerns. We are actually the most in style right now. If you saw the internet trending of coastal grandma, which is, like, <laughs> did you see this? Yes. This is what all the youngs want to dress like, a coastal grandma, like Diane Keaton and Nancy Myers movie. And I'm like, oh, that's me. So it's Coastal fine. grandma. Okay, Coast fair enough. I'm somehow coastal grandma without ever actually having been a mother, but I'm going to do it. Or without ever having lived, like I've never lived in a beach house. Like it's- <laughs> Coastal grandma. It's that's me, coastal grandma. Um, we're not going to title the episode this though, because out of respect for Rebecca Soffer, we're not gonna, sober. We're not gonna, we're not <laughs> going to title into your head. You were like coastal grandma, that's coastal it. grandmas. That's the title. <laughs> and fuck no, we can't. Um, all right. Well, do you want to get into the episode? Let's get into it. Our guest today is Rebecca Sofer. Rebecca co-founded the Modern Loss website, which provides support for those who are grieving and explores grief in all its forms. She's also the co-author of Modern Loss, Candid Conversations About Grief, and the author of the about-to-be-published, in fact, published when this comes out, The Modern Loss Handbook, an interactive guide to moving through grief and rebuilding your resilience. She has written for the New York Times, Time, L. Marie Claire, and Health, among other publications and she worked as producer on the Colbert Report. Welcome, Rebecca. Hi. Hi. Thanks so much for having me, both of you. We're uh, super we're... excited to talk to you about a sad topic. Kim, sorry, <laughs> I got you off. Isn't that weird? Like, a lot of people say that to me. They're like, "We're." I'm like, really excited to talk to you. And that feels weird because we're going to talk about grief. And I'm like, well, you know, that just shows how badly we need to talk about it. Yes. Well, it's true. And can I just say, it's it's such a tricky, tricky topic that I was like, kind of dreading it today. 
you know, and one of my questions to you was, why is there, why is there so little conversation about this? But I know why there's no conversation about it or little conversation because it's a bummer. But before we get to that, I want to ask you how it was that you first became involved in the topic of grieving. Yeah, um, well, that's a great question, because if you even talk to me for 10 minutes about anything besides grief, you would wonder, why does this person work in grief? <laughs> because mm -hmm. like, it's not necessarily my jam. And yet it very much is. So I'm a journalist and I was working, you know, I, I went to Columbia Journalism School. Um, and then right from there, I started working for the Colbert Report. Um, I was on the original staff there. And that, that was my view of like how I could contribute to journalism. Um, and I just loved it. And I felt like I was really building up my life and my career and going to finally get rid of all the college crap in my apartment. I was, you know, 30 in Manhattan, which we know is like 18 in other parts of the <laughs> universe. Um, and uh, my mother was killed in a car accident uh, just shortly after my 30th birthday, a few months afterwards. And I was just like stunned into a state of overwhelm that lasted for so long because the rug had been pulled out from underneath my feet during a time when I was so focused on the build phase of my life. Like I was like, all right, got the degree. Like I'm going to, I'm working in political satire. Oh my gosh, I'm getting paid like one penny a year to do this amazing <laughs> job. I'm so excited. Um, here are all my plans. And like that plan did not include like suddenly dead mom who happened to be my very best friend in the universe. And I had to figure out a way to navigate the build phase while also navigating the extreme loss phase mm. and doing it when I still had to pay rent and I still had to figure out my early 30s shit, which you know involved maybe finding a partner and dating and getting a dog and all that. Um, and I still had to work. Like I still had to... I wanted to move forward in my career and it became very evident very quickly um, how much we suck at this conversation because I felt like I was surrounded by like so many amazing people in my life from my friends to my coworkers and my coworkers came to my mom's funeral in a, in a rented van. They all poured out of it. But after that day, it's like, what do you do for that person? And it's really hard to know what to do for somebody when the culture does a really poor job of telling you how to talk about it or giving you the language. Nobody had the language. And also very few people had the firsthand shared experience mm -hmm. of profound loss. Um, and so I was just in this weird phase of like not being a child and being surrounded by structures that might've legally or emotionally or familially had a, a, a responsibility to catch me. And I wasn't, you know, 90. <laughs> I was just like 30 and trying to build my life. And then all of a sudden I had this. Um, and so why do I work in grief? Because of that, because of how incredibly lonely it was and how desperately I wished that I could talk about it in a way that wouldn't bring the record to like this uncomfortable screeching halt whenever I brought it up. Like I just felt so abnormal about a situation that I now know is the most normal thing you can go through. Right. I, I I read that you said you felt like you were getting a D minus in grief. Yeah. How, how did you turn how did you turn that around? 
Yeah, at best, I thought I was getting a D minus. Um, because, you know, I, I really felt like I was flailing for some time. My mom died very suddenly. Um, it was extremely traumatic for me. My dad was in the car with her and survived. I had just seen them an hour beforehand. Mm. Um, I'm their only child, you know, between the two of them. And so it was so lonely <laughs> for so long. I was in this state of like, I couldn't even listen to music and I love music. Like mm. I played violin for 15 years. I couldn't even listen to to gentle music, you know, much less like my favorite music. It felt like sensory overload, you know, it felt like almost insulting to my ears. Um, it was too much to read a book. It felt like all too much, you know? And I just um, felt like I was failing because I kept getting told with like hands on my shoulders, either literally or metaphorically, like it takes a year or like I did get told that they're in a better place, which like, don't yeah. ever say that. Please don't ever say that to anyone. People, please just <laughs> never that, works. That and everything happens for a reason. Yeah. Like it doesn't, it doesn't. Yeah. So <laughs> I kept getting told like, you know, these, I, I kept feeling like I was being assured by people who felt like they knew that it would be okay, that it takes a year, that they're in a better place, like all of these things. But I wasn't being told how it would be better or like what would happen after a year. Like I wasn't being given any examples of how I could move through this like crazy, insane mess that seemed to take total control of me 90% of the time and then 10% of the time make me feel like maybe I could like navigate it. I didn't understand like, how I could move through this in a way that was going to get me to a place where I could be joyful again and like feel like I was like living, living, living a life. I mean, like you hear how I speak. I have a lot of energy. Like I, I love my friends. I love laughing. I love music and theater and feeling alive and inspired. But for so long, I felt so little of that. And I felt so scared and it was because I felt so lonely and I felt like there, I wasn't being given any really earnest, like I mean it invitations mm -hmm. to talk about my shit outside my therapist's office. And do you think that some of that had to do with the age you were when you lost your mother and the fact that so few people your age could relate to what you were going through? I lost a father when I was in college and um, a father. My father, um, and I felt like people didn't didn't even begin to know how to talk to me about it at that age. Yeah, I mean, definitely, I absolutely think that age came into play, um, mostly because you know, like you have to keep in mind, I was working like really long days. I was working in daily television. So I didn't have a, like a huge variety. My life was not balanced. I would go into a studio, whatever in the morning and then come out after we taped the show, which was that I think at that time, like seven at night, maybe I was out at eight, eight fifteen, Um, and I was exhausted and I would just go home and stare at the wall. Uh, and I didn't want to think, you know, but I, I would just go home and like, just kind of shut out all the lights and like, try and like drown out the rest of the world for a little bit. Um, and so I felt like I wasn't able to see so many people during that time because I was working as most of us are when we're 30. I was focused on like, I was so focused on trying to do a good job at my job so that I could actually have a career so that I could move up. Um, 
but I was struggling with balancing it out with like getting the right grief support and then also figuring out a way to kind of check in with myself on a continual basis and figure out what I needed and then figure out a way to ask not just my employers, but my friends to help me get what I needed so that I could give to them what they needed. Right. You know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I just feel like because of our age, sure. But also because I think at that point in time, I mean, we're talking about 15 years ago, we were really bad at talking about grief, you know, like we're, we're still kind of bad at it now. We were much worse, you know, doing it in a way that like, wasn't anchored in like a clinical conversation or a religious conversation or like a really lame platitude laden conversation, you know? And so the discomfort level was so high that I think it was also just a societal thing as well as an age thing. Let's take a quick break for some ads. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Support for Everything is Fine comes from Ritual. So I love Ritual. Everyone knows I love Ritual. I talk about Ritual all the time. I particularly love its daily, their daily multivitamin. And I also really have been enjoying their melatonin. But the thing I love most about Ritual is their Hyacera. It's a once daily skin supplement that's clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. In a clinical study, Hyacera led to 3.6 times reduction in crow's feet wrinkles within 90 days as compared to a placebo. Hyacera led to 2.9 times increase in skin smoothness within 90 days as compared to a placebo. You can enhance your skincare routine from the inside out with one daily capsule essenced with soothing vanilla. I love Hyacera. It's been rigorously tested and validated. It's one of the industry leading sustainability. It, it meets, sorry, all of the industry leading sustainability standards. You know, I'm a beauty editor now. I am all about keeping my face plump and Hyacera absolutely has done that for me. I've been on it for months. I don't even know how long and I can really see a difference in the texture of my skin. My skin looks more juicy, I guess, is the best way to do it. Say it, do it. 
<laughs> okay, so you can start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash fine. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription to get today. That's ritual.com slash fine for 25% off. And we're back. Do you think that we feel, do you think there's shame surrounding grief? Do you think that that- Absolutely. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm wondering. And then my, but my, but my real question, well, and I wonder why you think that is, but then my, my real question is, what did you need? People didn't know what you needed. What did you need? I needed, I need, my, my needs changed on a daily basis. And that's one of the reasons I wrote this book because I wanted to make it clear that like, it's called a handbook. It's not called like, like the, you know, the how to, because I'm telling you, these are all the things I've learned. These are all the things that like the community has learned and here's some expert based information, but like, take it or leave it. Like you need to try this and see if it works for you. And if it doesn't try something else. Um, so my needs really changed on an ongoing basis. You know, there were some days where my productivity was changing at work because my sleep schedule was so off because I was having so many awful dreams that I couldn't sleep at night. And so I felt like I was, you know, just full of energy and I wanted to use it somehow instead of like laying awake and staring at the ceiling. And so I wished that I could have used that time to kind of maybe work a little bit. Um, I wish that I could have maybe come in to work a little bit later. I wish that I could have been given time off a few months down the line after my mom's death to do things that I really needed to do, like sort through all of her things and pack them up, uh, which you don't really think to do, nor should you have to do like three days after she dies in a car accident. I had needs from my friends, which were, you know, for them to kind of stop pussyfooting around the topic and acting like whenever they brought it up, they were reminding me (laughs) of something that I had somehow miraculously forgotten, (laughs) which I didn't, you know, I had needs from friends who were my best friends. Some of my best friends at the time, keep in mind the age, I was 30. A lot of my friends were in build mode. It wasn't their fault. You know, one of my best friends was a medical resident. I mean, you know, come on. Like she had, she was being like hazed at the hospital every day, but she was like one of my best friends. And I remember like she could never see me. And this was my, like one of my best friends could never see me after my mom was killed on the Jersey Turnpike. And I was so angry with her because she couldn't be there for me, you know? And so like, I needed her, I needed my friend, you know? And we couldn't figure out a way for her to be there for me if it wasn't physically, you know? Um, So my needs were always changing. uh, But what I wasn't good at was checking in with myself and, and getting to a place where I felt confident in asking for what I needed. Because it was really clear that um, a lot of people really did want to support me. They just didn't exactly know how, which is why I think in loss, you get a lot of people saying, if there's ever anything I can do, like they actually mean it. They do. They, I think people in general really want to help out and be supportive, but they don't know what they can do because they don't know what you need. They can't intuit like magically where you're at, you know? And I, I think they also assume that you're like, you will collapse like a house of cards if the topic comes up. Uh, yeah, there's there was a lot of like, don't bring it up. Like, just don't bring 
And I'm like, literally, I'm fully aware that my mom is dead. Like, you're not, you're, you're not going to remind me on Mother's Day that I have a dead mom. Like, I'm aware, you know, like you can text me and tell me how shitty this day must be for me. And it's not going to make me feel worse. In fact, it's going to make me feel so much better. It's going to make me feel acknowledged because all you really want, let's be honest, when you get decked where it hits and you are so in pain and scared and um, unsure of what your life is going to look like, unsure of what tomorrow is going to look like, you just want to feel like you're not alone in it. Even just for like a few minutes, you want to feel like someone is seeing you in that awful space and willing to sit with you in it and not offer any solutions or fixes or ideas. You just want to feel acknowledged, right? In anything, not just in grief, in anything that is difficult in life. And I think that's like the secret of all of this, which is people are like, oh my God, I don't know the right thing to do, blah, blah, blah. It really is figure out a way to make it clear to somebody that their grief isn't going to scare you off and you're highly aware that it is not contagious. Right. How about when somebody dies who you had a complicated relationship with? How does, what journey does grief take when that happens? I mean, I think it takes, you know, the journey is a rough one. I think that, I think all relationships are complicated and I think that very few ones uh, when there is a death, um, are in a state where everything is tied up with like a beautiful little satin bow, you know, because people are people and humans are super fallible, but relationships are difficult. There are relationships that are meaningful that still carry a lot of pain and hurt and resentment and damage. And when one of those people dies in that dynamic, the really hard thing is that, first of all, closure is like a literal mythical term. I don't believe in it. But for lack of a better term, I, there will not ever be any time where that person can ever talk to the other person and get to a different place. It's going to be a one-sided conversation. And it's something that, that like the onus is on the survivor to contend with all these remaining feelings and figure out how to live with them and move through them, not move on, move through them. And I think that's a really hard thing to do, you know? And that's where I believe in, in the enormous power of a very good grief therapist, but also the power of community support and peer-to-peer -peer support, because you could draw yourself crazy being alone in your head about this stuff. I, I wonder if you think our definitions of grief are too limited. It, it feels like to me, grief permeates so many aspects of our lives. And I think we are, you know, we think of grief often as just in death, but there's grief over the loss of marriages. I think there's grief over the loss. If you had a trauma, traumatic childhood, there's grief over a loss of a childhood. I think there's a lot of grief in midlife over your life. And I, and COVID, something like COVID certainly made us collectively grieve. Do you think that we need to be more expansive in our definitions about grief and, and uh, approach it similarly in, in some ways? Yeah, I do. I absolutely do. I, I absolutely do not think that grief is merely tied to 
the death of something, someone who was once living. Um, I think that grief to me, if it feels like grief to you, then it's grief kind of like porn, right? Like you'll know it when you see it. Right. Oh my God. I cannot believe I'm quoting. Who was it? The Larry senator, Flint. Whatever. Is that? No, well, it's yeah. not Larry That's Flint. Like, it's case with Larry it Flint. Like, yeah. Yeah, I actually don't feel like much talking about the Senate today. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, like I, I just, I feel like if it feels like grief to you, then it's grief and it's valid. It's it's worthy of examining and respecting and honoring because like when was the last time that someone said, oh, just calm down or, oh, just relax. And it actually worked on you or just tried <laughs> to talk you out of your feelings, right? Yeah. Like, how, how does that go? Like, you know, how does that go for you? It doesn't go well. So like, if it feels like grief to someone or someone close to you, you should probably respect it as being such because you're not going to talk them out of how they're feeling. And you might as well acknowledge that what is happening is really difficult and figure out ways, you know, at least if you care about them to talk them through what they can do about it. Um, we have, we are in a state of enormous grief right now. We are two years into this awful, ghastly pandemic that has killed way more than a million people in this country. I mean, I think the unofficial tally is 200,000 people more than a million. So 1.2 million at this point. Um, people are still dying from other reasons as well. Also, we have had the loss of so many things. We have lost so many coping mechanisms over the last two years. We have lost the ability to hug people without fear. We've lost the ability to just go to the gym or access that Sunday brunch that we figured out was the thing that we're going to hang our sanity on every week to get through the week during a tough time. We've lost dreams for the future and over our perceived control of the future, which we never had. But, you know, I like a lot of us like to think that we had an idea of what our lives were going to look like. And we've lost a lot of those ideas because they haven't come to fruition. And we've lost roles. We've lost jobs. We've lost the dynamic in our lives if people have died. And then there's also the grief over societal stuff. There have been hate crimes. There's been political grief. There's been fear with what's going on in public policy and law. Um, there's been so much divisiveness over whether a piece of cloth is something you should put on your mouth and nose. And, all, and, and maybe looking at people in different ways because of it, because of how we know that they feel now. All of this is grief. It's, it's all grief. It's all worthy of acknowledgement. Because if you don't acknowledge it, you're, you're simply not going to be able to move through it and build resilience and try and figure out what you can take from this awfulness that is meaningful. Right. Right. I, I, I think about the whole idea of grieving correctly, you know, like things like, you know, my mom is, 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 is eternally bothered by the fact that she didn't cry at my stepfather's funeral. And yet when she had to put her dog down, she was just a complete mess. Like 
why I I I I, I had a question at the beginning of this. <laughs> I'm trying to remember it. But no, why is it so why is grief so black and white sometimes and other times so complicated or hard to access? Well, I I mean I personally don't think grief is ever black and white. I think it's mm -hmm. like a huge shade of gray um that has a lot of lighter hues and a lot of darker hues and I think it's something that you know it's just like there are no rules in grief you know maybe you your your father dies and you don't have an outward reaction like you think you should but that doesn't mean you're not still grieving and processing and that your neurons are literally trying to like rejigger Right. trying to figure out like i mean i read this book the grieving brain and i was like ah like i feel so seen because it literally like made me feel better for still going to call my mom sometimes she died right. in 2006 i still sometimes go to call her um because she's still in my phone and i'm like what the hell like god you're such an idiot and i got the validation that no 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 our brains literally have trouble because this is a known thing to them. Like this is just a fact that this person is in the world and it takes a really long time for them to adapt to the fact that like what is proven is no longer. Like it's not us, it's not us. No, there's no, no, no amount of trying that can like get us to grieve in like a more proper way. I, I also wonder with the shame, I, th I think that shame and guilt are just a place that's easier for us to handle in some ways because it puts the, it puts it on us. You know, it feels more controlled. If I'm bad, then I can control this in a way. Whereas grief probably, I imagine feels so out of control for all of us. Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I feel like shame is a go-to and guilt is a go-to oftentimes as a way to control that which is uncontrollable. Because at least if you're, if you, if you can feel like a piece of shit yourself, that, that feels like something tangible rather than this right. like morass of, of sadness and mourning and just like that could swallow you up in a way. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, look, people feel a wide variety of these feelings and often they will feel all of them at some point. And sometimes they'll feel all of them in one day. I have. Yeah. That's a fun, that's a fun roller coaster. <laughs> um, but I think that we are really good at feeling shame and grief because our society does a really bad job of making it clear that this is a very, very, very human, normal thing to go through. Um, and instead, it makes us feel like it's a little bit pathologized if after a certain period of time, you're not in a certain place. And so I think a lot of like, yes, there's a lot of shame associated with like, oh, my God, if I had only with this person, if only like I know what you are talking about with regard to the person who died. But there's also a lot of shame uh, when we compare ourselves to like the the mile markers of like where society says we should probably be. Um, and I think that's total bullshit. And I really hate that. I hate that we promote that idea of a timeline mm -hmm. because there is no timeline. I mean, there's a new diagnosis in the DSM-5, which is called prolonged grief disorder, which I don't know if you've read about, but it was there was an article in the Times um, a couple of months ago going deep into it. And, you know, it basically says that it basically gives 
grief a reason to be covered by insurance, but it's it suggests that if after a year you are just really not able to glean any enjoyment from life or function properly, you know, go to work, et cetera, that this is like a pathology. This is a this is a disorder. Um, and the issue with that is that about 15, no more percent of people who are suffering profound grief are going to experience that real inability to like move through this in a way that is functional. But that an extreme minority percentage, right. <laughs> we're right. talking about a hundred percent. And a lot of these symptoms you can find in the DSM and other places like anxiety and depression and et cetera. So why do you have to make a grief definition? Why can't you just diagnose it as other things that are stemming that are, that are associated with grief? Um, because you're going to find bereaved parents who never, who, who say they're never going to feel utter joy again, years down the line. That doesn't mean that they're not, that doesn't mean that they have a disorder or that they're abnormal, or that they have something wrong with them. That means that they lost a child, and there's no way that they feel like they're ever going to feel whole again. And so I feel like there's this perception uh, when we have definitions like this, prolonged grief disorder. American society likes to fix things. We like fixing things. We like having ideas for things, for making things better. But there's no like grief vaccine. You just have to move through it. There's no way around it. There's no way. You can't shortcut it. And so when we have definitions like this or diagnoses, I my fear is that um, there's going to be a societal perception that something is wrong with them after a year. And then there's going to be this shame that pr is prolonged. And they're going to think, oh, well, I guess something's really wrong with me. I guess I, I need to go on meds or I need this. And I love meds. Who cares? You know, but like there are a variety of modalities that can help people who are grieving and then by extension living with loss. And a lot of that is in finding societal support, feeling like you're supported at work, feeling like you have friends who are willing to talk to you about this stuff, feeling like you can talk to other people, like peer-to-peer -peer support in, in loss, meeting friends who are going through something kind of similar, even if they don't become good friends, people who you could just talk to about this. And feel seen by and get ideas from and be commiserated with and, and you know, validated by. Um, and so I feel like if we did that better, then the shame spiral would not be so great. Right, right. Can we talk for a minute about, about that living with loss? Because you've written about how important you think it is to keep a person alive in your life and alive in your mind. How do you manage that if you're still in a place where you're feeling intense pain? Well, you know, so what I do, modern loss is really about the long arc of loss, right? Because we're not just talking about my mom just died last month or last year even. I mean, I'm talking to both of you as a woman who lost, whose mom died 15 years ago and her dad died 10 years ago. And I still have hard moments that pop up. And I have amazing moments too. And what I want to do is promote loss as like a, a companion. It's like your 24 seven, 365 day a year companion for the rest of your life after you lose somebody. And so, yeah, like there, there will be times and especially in early grief when 
everything feels painful. And I don't think that there's much to do about that. That's grief. You know, you're adapting to the absence of somebody who was meaningful in your life. And I don't want to be like a Pollyanna toxic positive person and be like, well, just think about this. Think about all the good times. No, it's like really shitty for a while. There's no way around it. And if I said otherwise, then I should probably be called out for it. Um, but as time goes on, what I would love people to know is that their relationship is still alive with that person, even though the person is dead. I still have a very like dynamic relationship with my parents, even though they're not here. Now, do I wish that they were here for dinner? I could talk to, do I wish it could actually be a conversation? Yeah, of course, of course I do. Like, do I wish that they could meet my kids and my kids could meet them? It's never gonna happen. I absolutely wish that, but that's not gonna happen. And so all I have is the memories I have of them and the wishes and desires that I, I, I would have hoped to, you know, experience with them. And as I get older, I regard them differently. Like I see my mom more as like a woman now. Um, unless, you know, I always see her as my mom, but I also see her more as like a woman who had kids or had a kid and who might've struggled with like her identity a little bit after having a kid, like, who am I? What the hell's going on? Is it just this, you know, <laughs> or is there more, you know? Um, I never thought about her like that beforehand. Like when she died and I was in my early thirties, I didn't think about her like that. And so to, to regard her differently to me is a really beautiful thing because it makes me feel very connected to her. Um, it does. I had a similar, I've, I've had a similar experience with my father because he was 49 when he died. Oh my gosh. And um, I've, we had a difficult relationship. And when I reached the age that he died and then past the age that he died, I started being able to see him not as my father, but as a man, you know, a man who grew up in the fifties and thought I should go to college and get married and everything else, you know, that, that. You do, you do kind of reach a different place when you lose a parent at any point, when you, you see them as another person. Yeah. So there's also this like really, and I say rich, by the way, for like lack of a better term, because it's kind of crappy, but like, as you, I'm not the age that my mom was when she died, but I gather that if I'm lucky enough to get older and you know, get to the age where she died, that that's going to be really weird for me. You know, like that's another type of grief. Um, and I think that that's, you know, something that we don't talk about enough as well. Like I, I, the message that I just hope people get is that it's not like a one and done thing. It's not this like 365 day period of time. And then like you've moved on to the next stage. It's a very much living, breathing thing. And the more you can kind of um, accept that, I think that not like the easier because it's not easy, but I think the easier it gets to at least move through it uh, because you're not going to be so shocked when you get slammed by a wave. You're going to know that they still come. They'll still be hard, but you're going to expect them at some point. 
I, I wonder if there are ways to prepare for grief. My, my mother-in-law recently brought me um, to her cemetery plot. I was visiting her mm. and she walked me over and she said, you know, I just mm. want you to see this. It was, and it did make me, it started making me prepare for this one. I'm very close to my mother-in-law, this woman who will die, you know, in within, you know, she's older. Do you, do you think about that there's ways to prepare for it? There's ways to sort of steal yourself for it? I, I don't know if that's a dumb question. I just, I, I think about it sometimes. I think that you can do as much as you can do, but you're never going to be fully prepared for when it happens. I think a lot of people struggle with anticipatory grief when there's a diagnosis or when they know that a parent is just getting older and ailing and they're kind of like mentally preparing themselves like, okay, not going to be around forever. Uh, or um, maybe there's dementia and you're losing that person. You're losing the that person who they were. You're watching them fade away and you're missing them. You're grieving them, but they're still there. But there is nothing that can prepare you for the feeling of when they finally die. I mean, just like, I mean, just to draw an like an example for people who would like to understand. I mean, can we all agree that we're pro-choice on this podcast? Yes, 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 <laughs> um, we can. You know, and all these posts when the, um, the news broke about the leaked, you know, uh, SCOTUS uh, agreement. And I saw all these posts saying, I, I knew that it was coming in my mind, but like, I, I didn't think I was going to feel like this yeah. when it actually happened, when I actually knew. Um, and that's just very much the same. That's grief, by the way. Yeah. Like talking about grief, that's grief. How about when, when somebody's sick for a while and it's a relief when they die? It's a, it's, it's a relief. Like how, how that I think is a feeling that a lot of people have a lot of shame and guilt around it when, Absolutely. when it's, it's natural, right? If yes. you watch someone suffer to be relieved when they're finally not suffering. Absolutely. And I think it's something that like, we have to talk about more. Like there is nothing wrong with feeling relief, especially if you were a caregiver, especially if you were, you know, like uh, having to live far away from that person, maybe you're working and your dad is sick on the other side of the country and you're, Oh my God, it's torture to not be able to be there with him and support him, but you can't. And there's so much guilt. And so, and so when there's a death, there is sometimes a feeling of relief, like, Oh my God, like a relief that they're of course, no longer in pain. Yes. We, we are all relieved about that, but also that maybe we don't have to go to bed with the phone next to our ear. That's, that's what happened with me when my, my dad died. That was the first night that I left my phone in the other room because I was like, well, they're both gone now. There's no one, no late night calls to get. And I would, I slept with the phone next to my ear for years in between my mom's and my dad's death for years. Mm. And I was really worried about his health and all that. And, you know, it was only when he died, um, that I, um, that I felt that relief of like, well, the dread is gone or like the other shoe is dropped. And you know what? Like that doesn't make you a bad person. <laughs> that just makes you human. Right. You know, that doesn't, that's not a reflection of how you felt about them. Right. Has, has thinking about grief so much, has it changed your relationship to your own mortality? Do you think? 
Yeah, I mean, like, obviously, I think about grief a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I think that I was always someone, you know, I was always like a carpe diem type person. I mean, I don't think that I have fundamentally changed as a person. I don't think that people fundamentally change. Um, But I have grown a little bit more into that whole carpe diemness. Um, I am really aware that we aren't being given like a Dave and Buster's card with like a certain amount of credits that like, okay, we have this many credits left. And like, then when we're done, we're done. It's not, that's not a lifespan. (laughs) A lifespan can be any period of time, any number of credits. Right. And so I don't know what my, the charge on my card is, you know, I hope it's a decent one, but it could be, it could not be that. And so I just, I almost feel like it's, I'm definitely not comparing myself to Alexander Hamilton, like at all, by the way, (laughs) but it's just, I do bring up musical theater a lot. And you know, there's this song, like, why does he write? Like he's running out of time and you know, his parents died. And I feel like I'm always running out of time and not in a, not in a morose way, by the way, not in a morbid way. Not, I don't sit around being like, I'm dying. Like, no, no. Like I feel very much alive. I'm wearing metallic tassels today. Like, come on. (laughs) Um, But I'm very aware that loss is present every day, even if there's not a death, like this moment is never going to return. This experience, this day is never going to come back you know? And that doesn't mean that I like take full advantage of every day, but it does mean that I'm a a lot more aware of it. Rebecca, I think that's a really good place to stop. That was amazing. Thank you so much. And everybody should really get this book. It is such a useful, useful book. I I really think it's it's also beautiful. Um, And you've obviously given a lot of thought to it. And I think that it it will be a very helpful um, gift, actually for people. I I agree. I have to say, like, I really do wish that someone had handed me something like this, not just in the months, but in the years after my mom died, because I got a lot of edible arrangements. Um, (laughs) I got a lot of casseroles. I got a lot of, you know, rugula. Um, and I can only eat so much. (laughs) And I, I certainly don't think there's anything wrong with giving someone something that can help them. I really wanted to help myself. I did. I felt like this exposed little baby. You know, I felt so tiny and small and so vulnerable. And I wanted to feel resilient and strong, but I didn't exactly know how to get there. And so, yeah, like I do wish someone, that's why I wrote it, you know? Totally, totally. It is the Modern Loss Handbook, an interactive guide to moving through grief and building your resilience. And Rebecca, where can people find you? Um, Well, um, I run Modern Loss, which is modernloss.com. You can find the book wherever books are sold. And um, you can find Modern Loss everywhere at Modern Loss and at Rebecca Sofer on all the platforms. And I also run our newsletter on Substack. So it's modernloss.substack.com, which I really love. Um, I do a monthly deep dive interview with a notable figure about loss and grief. And, um, you know, we've had Cynthia Nixon and we've had Stacey London and I just, I love it. And then we have a premium 
uh, membership, which gives people access to monthly virtual sessions like yoga for grief support, um, mindfulness sessions. We just did an amazing session on competitive grieving, which, <laughs> oh my gosh, that was that was That's a conversation. Funny. So yeah, I mean, like we're out there everywhere and, and we're, the best part is like, when you need us, come on in, like, we're not going to bite. And when you don't, that's cool. You can ignore us for a bit, but we're still going to be there when you need us again. That's great. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Thank you so much. Thank you. And good luck with the book. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Everything is Fine. We're your hosts. I'm Jen Romolini. And I'm Kim France. If you like the show, please rate and review it on all the platforms. Every other week, we're reading out reviews, five-star reviews. Please leave them. You want to find this show on Instagram. We are at, at EIF Podcast. We have a Patreon. If you want to support the production of the show, it's patreon.com backslash everything is fine. We're on Twitter. We have a private Facebook group that folks are, seem to be enjoying. If you want to find Kim, you can find Kim on her blog, girlsofacertainage.com, and you can find me at my newsletter occasionally, tinyletter.com backslash Jennifer Romolini. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.